You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? John and Pemby here with Andrew Cooper bringing you another Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, Coop, we didn't record last week, which obviously means I threw off the entire episode count. I, I think this is eight. <laughs> Dude, buddy, the, the episode count was off week three when you said it was like our fifth episode. Yeah. So at this point, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe we'll go back and take a peek. But what eight? You think it's eight? I think it's seven or eight. I mean, I label it when I post them, so like I'll I'll have to check when this goes live. But uh, in my brain, I, I feel like we're we're maybe on seven or eight. But we said we we skipped last week. You know, we were in the middle of the Scott Fishbowl draft. You know, there there wasn't a lot more to go on outside of that. So we figured we finished our Scott Fishbowl drafts, which Coop and I are fortunate. We're lucky enough, right, to have finished our, my league is least done. Coop, I'm well, assuming I'm, your league I'm, is done, right? No, it's not. It's not done at what? all. What? No, I still have like three. It feels like you were on your final picks like a month ago. It did feel like that, didn't it? And I can tell you that with my picks, I've probably taken a total, besides one night where a guy in our league in London made his pick at what was the equivalent of two in the morning for me, which ran the clock until I woke up at like seven or whatever. I've made my picks, I've made the total of all the picks probably about 30 minutes total. But there's some people, you know, that need a little more time, I guess. So yeah, that's not a problem for me. So. It's, you know, I enjoy I enjoy it. So the longer it lasts, the more fun we get to have, right? I guess. Uh, yeah, something something along those lines. The longer it lasts, the more fun we have. I'll, I'll give you that. I'm seeing a lot of t- tweets out on Twitter of leagues that have finished. You're in the the uh, notorious Big League, correct? That's right. Biggie Smalls is the illest. Yeah, I have exactly. I only have three picks left. So the picks I make after this, you know, are are going to be inconsequential to a certain degree i mean we can we can talk about like what my game plan is for those which i'd love to talk about that in a moment but and not not who i'm gonna pick because i know there's people out there that could be like, gathering intel but just the just the strategy on what i do with my last picks i feel like that's something that could help fantasy gamers out there you know yeah we can talk about what i used what did with my last picks as well coop so why don't, why don't we jump into it i finished my draft. I was in the the Foo Fighters division here. I had the twelfth pick, as we talked about when we were previewing the Scott Fishbowl. I, I liked having the twelfth pick because of the third round reversal. I liked the idea of getting my three picks in kind of early there, trying to take advantage of the board. And, and I can tell you, Coop, that off the bat, things went haywire. I was expecting quarterback runs, obviously super flex with Scott Fishbowl. In the first eleven picks, we had six QBs. Go off the board with my 12th pick. I took Justin Herbert, you know, trying to lock in a quarterback there, you know, because I was I was kind of surprised, I guess, how many quarterbacks went. I knew we'd get the you know the usual suspects. You know, Josh Allen actually went one in this in my league. Hmm. Then Mahomes, Mahomes went the second quarterback off the board. Kyler Prescott and Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson were the first six quarterbacks all taken in the first round. So I was like, man, you know. I expected Allen and Mahomes, you know, maybe Lamar go in the first round, but you'd get your mix of running backs in there. But after CMC went one, Dalvin Cook was the second running back taken, went seventh overall. Saquon went third as a running back, went ninth overall. So, you know, running backs were not taken in this draft as early as I initially expected that to be the case. Right, because in the Scott Fishbowl, you expect it to just basically go – 
quarterbacks and running backs for the first two rounds. You know, I, I guess tight ends. Well, definitely tight ends. We had Kelsey go third overall and Waller go eleventh in this. So they were definitely they were definitely popular targets. But I, I had to grab a quarterback because I wasn't sure what was going to go on. And my second pick, I took Kittle on the turn to kind of again lock in that tight end. And then from there, I was expecting to go running back. But at that point, you know, the top ten running backs were off the board. Quarterbacks kept on flying. And by the time it came back to my third pick. In that third round reversal, 11 quarterbacks already taken. And I was just worried that if I waited any longer, that there wasn't going to be a quarterback available for me to get my QB2. So yeah. I took a risk here, and you did took the same risk as me. And I went with Aaron Rodgers because this is a humongous basically a GPP. You know, if you want to win, you got to take risks. And taking Aaron Rodgers in the third round. With considering what the board looked like, he had the most upside of anybody available. Yeah, and you know I'm right there with you. I mean, like when we we've talked about the Scott Fishbowl in the past and how it's because of the tight end premium, because of the superflex, those positions are held to a high esteem and rightly so. So, for instance, people might be thinking, you know, if they just play regular redraft, they're going to say George Kittle in you know at the start of the second round. This is oh, crazy. I, I had those when I tweeted out my thing. They're like Herbert in the first worst draft ever. Like it's a super, it's a super flex, man. I, they don't get it. Seven yeah, QB off the board. <laughs> right. The top, the top like 20 players, like I, th- I believe it was like 14 of them last year were quarterbacks. You know what I mean? And you could start two and, you know, and of the top 20 players, two of them were tight ends and Travis Kelsey actually scored more points than any wide receiver. He scored more points than Devonta Adams. That's why you take a guy like George Kittle, because ever if you think about it this way, right, it's half point PPR, full point for tight ends so if a tight end catches 50 passes that's 100 receptions for a wide receiver you know what i mean it is on that level and same thing where you get points for first downs in this half point you get the full point for the tight end so i mean mm-hmm. it's uh it's a huge advantage and, and Kittle's uh, a guy that that you know could approach you know probably easily right 80 catches at the tight end position assuming he stays healthy i would imagine with the, in that offense Easily. And that's 160 receptions. You know what I mean? It's like, and he, you know, he might not get the yardage that other guys get, but I mean, in this format, like if you go back through the history of tight ends, I mean, there are seasons that were had by guys like, you know, Jimmy Graham or Gronk that would have been the number one overall player in the, in the league, you know? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I agree with you. How did your first three picks go so far? Yeah. So what I did is I, I came out with the same idea as you figured I would take quarterback, but running backs, fell like crazy. So anybody out there thinking about normal leagues, you know, when you look at, you know, you get flabbergasted by George Kittle at 201, I took Alvin Kamara at 10 overall. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like that's what we're dealing with here with, you know, Kelsey going before me, four quarterbacks going before me, only two running backs went. So I took Kamara and then well, actually two tight ends went before me, Waller went as well. And you know, to speak to the craziness George Kittle went and Mark Andrews also went in the first round. Of my wow. <laughs> so on the way back around, I had a decision to make in another world. I might've taken Justin Herbert because I probably considered him to be one of the best players on the board, but especially in this format, but I have to stick with my brand. I took Zeke Elliott. You know, I've been touting him all year. This is a Scott fish bowl. The odds of me winning aren't great, but the odds of me doing well and being able to say, Hey, I stuck by my guy. I took my guy. I mean, I picked my spot knowing that I could get Zeke there in the second round. So that's, I stuck with that. And then exactly like yourself, I took two running backs first. You already had a quarterback. So I was even in more dire straits. When it came back around, 
I said, you know what? This is a monster tournament. Only one person wins. You know, the guy that won last year got Herbert in the second half of the draft, you know, pick like to his 12th round pick. He had Alvin Kamara score six touchdowns in the championship. I mean, it's like, that's what it takes to win. So I'm like with you. I said, you know what? I'll bet on Aaron Rodgers playing football. He was the MVP last year. And if he plays great, if he loses, you know what? I probably was probably going to lose anyway. So might as well <laughs> go for the moon, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's where I was standing there. And you talked about running backs falling. You know, Camaro was the fourth running back taken in my draft, and he was in the second round. So, you know, no running backs were taken largely in this draft. But then, you know, we did go on a little bit of a running back run for, in my drafts. And, you know, by that point in the fourth round, before I made my fourth pick, because we had that third round reversal, 20 backs already off the board, but receivers almost untouched. So with the you know last pick in the fourth round, I got the ninth wide receiver off the board in Keenan Allen, and then I followed it up with the first pick in the fifth round, my wide you know wide receiver ten. So two top ten wide receivers I got in rounds four and five with Michael Thomas. So you know this is again a half point PPR league. You get points for first downs. Both of those guys are first down machines when they you know they're the ones that the quarterbacks are looking for. I also stacked up Herbert with with Allen here. You know, so I looked at it and I'm like, all right, I can take the running backs on the board when I was when I was drafting Keenan Allen were Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne, Miles Sanders, who I do like, but like that's where I was looking at. Trey Sermon, you know, Kareem Hunt. So I'm taking a you know a back end RB2 at this point, or I have my option of top 10 wide receivers. So it's funny how you say that because these drafts, there's hun- literally hundreds of them, and they're all so crazy different. In my draft, the guy picking at 12 also took Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen. He took Michael Thomas first and then Keenan Allen second. This is a sharp player. This guy, Tim Godfrey, who is, you know, every step of the way, I like the moves he was making. He took Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, and then Miles Sanders went one pick later. So, you know, it's crazy how sometimes these drafts are all over the place, and sometimes you have a guy – you know, like this guy here who's thinking the same thing you do. You know, I can grab two super high-end guys. And just like yours, we only had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We only had eight guys go at that point, eight wide receivers. So, you know, take the value as it falls. Yeah, I, I had zero intention to go zero RB. But you kind of, like you say, you play the board as it lies. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, two top 10 wide receivers or fringe top 25 running backs, right, who have huge hit-miss potential if I'm just looking at ADP, and this is why we talk a lot about in the Fantasy Slam Draft Guide, Colby Conway wrote an article navigating ADP, and it's basically like you don't have to follow the site's ADP guidelines, right? Like I, I would much rather draft uh, guys, you know, going after Josh Jacobs or, or Travis Etienne at their ADP down the board if I feel like there's just better value there. So I took the, I took the wide receivers, you know, with my picks in round four uh, and round five. Round six was when I did take my first running back. RB26 at this point in round six is my RB1. Again, picking on the wheel, so I kind of had the benefit of, you know, picking two guys in a row. So I went with Kareem Hunt and I went with Chase Edmonds. You know, Hunt for me, again, we're talking about upside play. You know, Nick Chubb got hurt last year. He hurt his knee. And Kareem Hunt became the starting running back for Cleveland. And during that stretch of games where he was a starting running back, he averaged a little over 90 yards per game, still involved in a passing attack. He can score the touchdown to like, he has legitimate top 10 running back upside when you know Nick Chubb was out with an injury. But when he when Nick Chubb was playing, Kareem Hunt was still giving you 
10, 11, 12 fantasy points in PPR leagues just from his total yardage and involvement in the game. So I looked at Hunt. If I'm going zero RB, I feel like there's a safe floor with the upside that we're looking for. And then with Edmonds, I just feel like this is a long time coming for them. I know they signed James Conner, but Edmonds is kind of always the, you know, the the thorn in the side of anybody trying to start uh, running backs in Arizona because he was coming in and being productive, you know, sometimes in, in red zone play because I think he had like five receptions in the red zone for touchdowns last year or, or, or something like that. So there's just a lot of value. I think Edmonds has the potential, you know, to be involved in that offense this year. So I didn't want to go zero running back, but the way the board was playing at that time in the fact that we were already at RB 26, 27, I felt the need to grab one now or I was really going zero RB and would have to commit to that. Yeah, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that Kareem Hunt led the entire league in rushing yards. People right. forget that, you know, that wasn't very that wasn't that long ago. He's still a young guy. He can still ball out. And, you know, even though you know, Chubb played 10 games last year, he played more than half the season. And Hunt was still like RB, what, like 11 in a lot of formats. So great player there. And then Chase Edmonds. I know we're going to get to this later. An article yeah. I just dropped on. Um, I'm sure you read the first the first part there with the one. The one kicker for um, Chase Edmonds is he has one career carry from inside the five-yard five yard line, which mm-hmm. not ideal. You know, James Conner outweighs him by about 30 pounds. But the thing with Chase Edmonds is that that air raid offense, right, it runs a lot of four wide sets. And one of the things they like doing is they have all these four wide plays as part of the playbook. They like to motion into those. So they'd come out with Dan Arnold at tight end, and then he would – you know, take a step back, someone step forward, he would motion out to four wide. They would have Chase Edmonds in the backfield, he would motion out to four wide. So they're definitely going to be continuing to do that. Chase Edmonds is going to run plenty. He ran over 100, and I think it was 140 something routes at slot. You know what I mean? So, like, this guy is he a had pass catcher. He had catches on those 67 targets last year, not as the starting running back. Kenny Drake was the guy. <laughs> like, so. the, Car- the Cardinals have been doing their own like their own version of Hard Knocks. They're just releasing it on YouTube. I've been watching it and kind of gleaning stuff from that. I know I sent you the clip earlier mm-hmm. where where Christian where Kingsbury goes to Christian Kirk and says, "How do you like playing out of the slot?" And he's like, "I love it." And he goes, "Well, good. We're gonna we're we're gonna have you in there, and then if we need to move you outside, we will." It's like they're giving information away. But when you watch those clips, all I'm seeing in the background, you know, they do like the highlights and stuff. Chase Edmonds just making great great catch. You know what I mean? And this is a guy that, you know, that's something that they clearly value and they didn't bring in like it could have been way worse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Chris Carson was a free agent. Kenyon, they could have brought Kenyon Drake back. You know, they could have tried to lure Aaron Jones away. I mean, there's still Le'Veon Bell out there. There's still Todd Gurley out there. They could have brought in these guys that can catch, can do everything. And they kind of told us, hey, we have a guy that does this one part of the game. We're going to, you know, focus on this other part. So, you know, as far as getting RVs deep. And it's great because in a normal draft, those guys are gone rounds, you know, what, four or five. They're, they're gone way before when you got them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right. Our RB 25 and 26 in the standard redraft league is gone in round four. So, like, you know, that's just that's just the way it runs. Uh, Coop, uh, break down the, you know, your next four picks there. What you do after taking Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. So it seemed like what ended up happening in my draft was Kelsey Waller. Kittle and Andrews all went in the first round. And I think, I feel like everybody in the league basically said, oh, why res- uh, tight ends are going to be overvalued, so I'm not going to draft them. And I, you know me, I don't draft tight ends early because I spend all this time researching them. I'm a tight end guy. So I always wait. But what happened is that they all won the first round. Second round, no tight ends taken. Third round, no more tight ends taken. Fourth round, someone takes Kyle Pitts. And it gets, gets back to me, and TJ Hawkinson was still there in a league where tight end receptions count for double 
So I just I took Hawkinson, which I normally would not do, because I figured he would go in the second or third round in this format, but he didn't. So you know, as the sixth tight end off the board, when I have met as my fourth or so, you know, I was happy to do it. On the way back, I was kind of handcuffed by the format, but this is where knowing the format, listening to podcasts like the one we did last week or the ones that we do in general on the Scottish Bowl come into play, where I know this league. And I know that accuracy matters for quarterbacks. I know that a high com- that you basically get a, what is it? It's a, a point for every completion, but you lose a half point for yeah. incompletions. So I knew to take, you know, to look at the guys that really succeed in this format. Derek Carr is a guy that year after year, super conservative, high completion ratio. You know, he was a, I think he was QB just outside the top 12 QBs last year. So uh, yeah, I grabbed him as my. He's about 70% of his passes. So I mean. Right. Right. He's accurate. I mean, he doesn't take a lot of risks, but, you know, having Darren Waller helps a lot in that sense. So I and now he has Kenyon Drake to throw to. It's, you know, it should be a lot of easy passes to make. So I said I went Kamara, Zeke, Rogers, TJ Hawkinson and then Derek Carr. So five rounds with no wide receiver. But in this, the wide receivers kind of got pushed down. So, you know, I I use my philosophy of saying, okay, what guys are playing? Uh, large snap shares, what guys are getting decent target shares, what guys can I depend on? Because I you need to start three wide receivers in this format. So I was like, who are the most dependable guys out there? I went and took Mike Evans the next round and then Adam Thielen the round after that. And, you know, people might say, oh, Adam Thielen can't catch 14 touchdown passes again, blah, blah, blah. This guy played a 96.7% snap share and had a 100% route participation. Every time they were throwing the ball, he was out there running around, you know? So for me, that's the kind of guy that he doesn't need to catch 14 touchdowns because he's going to get 100 targets. You know, he's going to catch some touchdowns and guess what? He might catch double digit touchdowns again. So for me, that's such an easy pick to make at, you know, the, what is it? The one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh round. Absolutely. So, you know, this draft, the way it fell to me, it was like every step of the way, the there were picks were easy. I at this there were I didn't get I don't feel feel like I got sniped until like the fifteenth round. So I'm feeling really good about my team. But yeah, that's where I am up to where you are in yours. Yeah. So rounds for me, you know, this is where I really started. I'm not gonna say I made a mistake, right? Because I I do kind of like some of the picks that I made later, but there was you know, more of decision-making process. So I had my two two wide receivers. I had my two running backs and Hunt and Edmonds, who, again, at this point, Hunt Edmonds as your RB1, RB2, like, you know you need depth. And I found myself in a position where, again, I was worried where if I went away from the running back position, that I was going to potentially really put myself in a spot where, you know, I was going to be drafting some backs that I really didn't like or were going to be in trouble with in terms of potential value because you, you hate being on the opposite ends of runs. And I was you know, in a text group with you and, and I'm telling you like, you know, nine wide receivers basically or whatever it was like, just go off the board in between, you know, my picks. And and, and at that point, it's where I kind of felt, you know, uh, I guess the stress to take running back. So I went Melvin Gordon and and, and uh, Patriots running back Damian Harris there in rounds eight and nine to sort of build out some more of that RB depth. After the Harris pick was where I kind of was kicking myself because there were some real running wide receivers rather that I was taking a look at at that time. Cortland Sutton, Chase Claypool, Robbie Anderson were guys that were on my board, but I went running back because I didn't, I wasn't overly confident in the running back depth that I had at that point. And then literally after Damian Harris, 
all of those guys went. Like Sutton went the pick, next pick. Claypool went. Anderson went um, in the middle of that round. So, you know, Melvin Gordon for me, I, I've talked a lot, and you and I have talked a lot. I, I, I'm curious where a lot of the love is for Javante Williams coming with. Now, I know they traded up to draft him, and you know, he was a big bruising back in North Carolina. They made that investment in him, but we've seen teams make investments in rookie running backs. Last year is a perfect example, and those guys struggled to, you know, beat out the incumbent that was there. You know, DeAndre Swift like couldn't break through Adrian Peterson for the longest time, right? Like you had, if it wasn't for Marlon Mack going down, Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to be the lead guy there, and then even then we saw Jordan Wilkins, you know, and Naeem Hines, you know, find their way onto the field more often than we than we really wanted that. To be the case, J.K. Dobbins had to deal with Ingram and Gus Edwards for the first half of the season. A.J. Dillon didn't get on the field. He was taken in the second round, right? Like, so we're looking at a running back in in Melvin and Melvin Gordon, who you know last year did nothing to lose his job. You know, he would. I understand right. that he's on a short money and one year left, and you know that makes him potentially expendable for Denver <coughs> if they want to you know move off him at some point during the season, but. 986 yards rushing, nine touchdowns, 4.6 yards per carry, and he was good in the passing game, 32 catches, you know, as part of that offense. So I don't see a way, a, a reason where Melvin Gordon is going to all of a sudden just fall out of favor here uh, with Denver, and I would just be surprised if all of a sudden Williams comes in and takes the job completely. At the very least, you know, Williams probably isn't coming in to play third down role, and Gordon can keep value there so i went with melvin gordon you know i think there's a safe play there for him and then damon harris again a guy that averaged you know over five yards per carry with new england i know it's kind of a crapshoot there if cam newton's a starter but if you know we find out that you know newton doesn't end up being the starting quarterback there you know they're going to lean heavily on the running game i think um, yeah. and there's going to be value for damian harris if there's no, i mean there's there's no reason that melvin gordon wouldn't at least keep part of that role because philip Lindsay, the issue with him was he couldn't pass block and that's usually the biggest barrier to entry that we see for these rookie running backs i mean jonathan taylor ranked 144th in pass blocking antonio gibson was outside the top 130 as well deandre swift as well and you know these teams will use naheem hines they'll use jd mckissick the lions brought in jamal williams they used their own they had five guys leave and you can only get four comp picks max so they could sign one guy they signed jamal williams so it tells you how important that is protecting the quarterback and melvin gordon is the guy they brought in because philip Lindsay couldn't do that job so for me at the very least you know on the upside melvin gordon might start and be the passing down back on the downside, Javante Williams will get a running down role like Damian Williams, and then Melvin Gordon will be the passing down guy like James White or, you know, some, you know, like right. in that type of, you know, I mean, like, I guess the worst case would be he's Gio Bernard, but that still limits Javante. And it still is a guy that in this format where you're starting 11 guys, it's something, you know what I mean? So yeah. Melvin Gordon, you basically did what you had to do when you start and grab all this high-end talent at other positions is get guys that you know can get you points. Melvin Gordon's definitely going to play. He's definitely going to get you points. If, you know, it's like, what do you say to the GM if Melvin Gordon doesn't play? You know what I mean? It's like, that's so much money. And and my feeling is if if Gordon finds himself released or cut, like another team is going to pick him up, right? You know, 
And as long as it isn't Houston, I think we'll be okay, you know, because there's 10 other running backs already there. But, I mean, you, you can't look at what Melvin Gordon did last year and think that there's nothing left in the tank for him. So whatever team I would imagine that would add him would add him to, to fill a run the roster. So I'm fine with the Gordon one. It's really the Damian Harris pick that I, I found myself later second-guessing in drafts. You know, I, I do like Kenyon Drake a lot this year. You know, well, I, John, John, can I read you a quote that will make, yeah. make you feel a little better? Yeah, go ahead. Make me feel so, better about that pick. I actually, after you said Damian Harris, I was like, I just heard a quote from our, our good friend as Patriots fans, Bill Belichick. And we know that, you know, historically this has been a split backfield. You know, no running back has had both 200 carries and 35-plus receptions since Curtis Martin and Robert Edwards back in the 90s under Pete Carroll. So no one's ever done it under Belichick, right? So they've always had a Kevin Falk. They've always had Danny Woodhead, a James White. But... Listen to what Bill Belichick said. And Bill Belichick doesn't praise his own guys. He always praises other team guys. But he said, Damian works extremely hard at all phases. Certainly his conditioning and training, running game, pass game, protection, route running, catching the ball, Belichick said at the conclusion of June's mandatory minicamp. He's got a lot of skill and he can contribute in a variety of ways. And he's looking to upgrade where he is in every area. So that's unusual to hear from Belichick. Not only the praise, but the praise in the passing game is the interesting part because this is a guy that has, you know, Damon Harris's five career receptions. Sonny Michelle's <laughs> most receptions he's ever had, I think, was 12. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt playing the same role. You know, he had 18 touchdowns one year. He only had seven receptions that year. Like, we know what they want to do, but this kind of tell this kind of alludes to a potential guy that's going to get more work across the board, which is kind of interesting, you know? It would, it would be interesting. You know, I was also, you know, there's a lot of running backs there in, in New England, but they did, you know, for better or for worse, I guess, you know, take it for what it is. You know, Rex Burkhead's not there anymore, and Burkhead was a guy that filled sort of that, you know, versatile role, right? Like, he could run between the tackles, be the lead back for early downs, but he was also uh, a pass catcher that could, could split out. So, you know, if they're looking for someone to sort of replace that, because James White is not – is purely a pass catcher and Tony Michelle, like we said, doesn't catch footballs and maybe Harris is going to be more of that versatile back. You know, they drafted Stevenson, who's an absolute monster, you know, to, <laughs> to run between the tackles. So I was, I was surprised to see that Tony Michelle last year, um, his yards per carry was strong. I mean, he's a big play guy at, at the end of last season for them. You know, maybe he, he was feeling the heat of the competition, but he's another guy um, that averaged over five yards per carry, you know, at the end of the year for, for New England. So, you know, it was more so the group and, and just the unpredictability of, of the Patriots running back group. Plus, I saw all those receivers go afterwards that I had liked. And I as mentioned right before you told me that great news about Harris. Is I'm actually a big Kenyon Drake guy this year. You know, I, I feel like the the recent injuries to Josh Jacobs, the fact that they invested in Drake this offseason to bring him in, I think he's going to be that pass catching back at a minimum. He's going to be a change of pace guy for them. And, you know, I think that we could be seeing it closer to a split role with Jacobs and Drake. And he went a couple rounds later where, you know, I found myself, you know, taking wide receivers that I was, you know, okay with, but not, not totally in love with when I could have, you know, taken a Sutton or a Claypool or Anderson instead of Harris and then gotten Drake a little bit later instead of taking like a Marquise Brown. Yeah, you know, I'm less than happy with. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Rex Burkhead. I mean, Rex Burkhead touched the ball nearly 100 times last year. Yeah. You know, like we're talking about what Tony Pollard touched the ball, what, 125, 130? So, I mean, this is like people are scared about Pollard, but like Rex Burkhead's now gone. That's a huge vacation of targets there. So the the question really becomes, 
how they set this up. What they've historically done is running down back, passing down back, and then one guy that does both, which is Burkhead. I think what they're going to do personally is Damian Harris is the starting back, James White is the passing down back, and then Sony Michelle becomes the guy that can, you know, comes comes in and fills in for either side if someone gets hurt, kind of like what Deion Lewis was doing before, what Rex right. Burkhead did, yeah. But, uh, you know, like Damian Harris, like, I don't – if you're looking to get a, your, your second running back, I don't, you know, say go out and get Damian Harris, but in the build that you have here where you have so much – so. Yeah, you have so much firepower. You just need to have – you have to start two running backs every week, and it gets so grisly in this league because guys get hurt. Uh, there's bye weeks. Everyone is so sharp. Everyone owns 22 players, which, you know, we're talking about 12 teams, 22 players. They're going to like almost 300 guys. Like, so you have to have those guys. That's why I like James White, too, which I took James White later. We might, well, yeah, know, we'll get I, I hit, I, we matched there. I took, I took James White as well down in uh, round 16. But Coop, all right. So what, what are you, I, I would just talked about rounds eight, nine for me. Where were you in rounds eight, nine? Yeah. So eight, nine. So I took, so far I had Kamara, Zeke, Rogers, Hawk. Car and then I went Evan Thielen. I knew that running backs were kind of screaming off the board. I wanted to get one more. I mean, I have two, so I, I like my strategy is Zeke and Kamara every week. If they're not awesome, then I've already lost, you know. So I'm in that zone. I just needed to get one more good running back or one more running back that I could I feel could be explosive and exciting. And then I'll move on and just slam on wide receiver and tight end because, you know, those are the positions that you kind of fill out your roster with, especially because I only had two so far. But I so I took Raheem Mostert. He's got a, you know, he's got a, an amazing line. Last year they had two of the top run blocking tackles in the league in McGlinchey and Trent Williams. And then they bring in Alex Mack as the center you know, who played with Shanahan with the Falcons. He already knows the plays. It's, I mean, that line is amazing. And whoever gets that role is going to be awesome. And Raheem Mostert has been nothing but awesome. I mean, last year in week one, he went out and he had a 23.06 mile per hour run where he clocked the fastest run of the season in week one. And what did he do week two? He clocked the second fastest run of the season, you know? So, you know, he, the only issue with him has been injuries, but when he's been healthy, he's been amazing. So for me, that's, I, that's kind of a luxury pick where I have two running backs. I only need to start two running backs, but I'll st- I'm going to be starting where he most at week one, because, you know, behind that line, he could score at any moment. He had 70, 80 yard touchdowns and he can, he can still do it. You know, he's, he's, obviously crazy fast after that i took uh, i needed wide receivers because i had i only had two you have to start three so i went back to back with Cortland sutton and dj chark went on the well actually so i took moster and then i had the Sutton the way there it came all the way back and i took chark and then i might as well throw one more pick in there which one of my favorite picks of this draft was this is like i said tight end premium we want high upside guys i took hunter henry and i think that of the tight ends, you know, so at this point, so many guys had gone. Logan Thomas, Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant, Johnny Smith had already gone. Robert Tonian, Mike Tyler Higby, Evan Engram, Jared Cook. All these guys are going. Not one of those players, besides maybe Dallas Goddard, could lead their team in targets. They're all playing second fiddle at best, and a lot of them are kind of locked in to being the third guy in targets. Hunter Henry could lead this team in targets. We, you know, we don't know yeah. what the game plan is, and you know, 
We've seen him be a prolific pass catcher before. We've seen the Patriots throw to the tight end more than anyone else in the past. So, I mean, for me, that that was such an easy pick. So, and you have a quarterback that can't throw more than 15 yards in Cam Newton accurately, anyways. And then if Mac perfect. Jones is the quarterback, young young quarterbacks and tight ends are usually the key to success, right? Simple routes, you know, they they run the intermediate and underneath stuff, and they're they're easy targets. So, yeah, I, I was 100% with you uh, on those guys. I, I found myself needing going on a wide receiver run after that. I so again, I went four straight running backs after starting my draft: Herbert, Kittle, Rogers, Allen, Thomas. I went Hunt, Edmonds, Gordon, Harris there uh, for four straight. So this is where I found myself now again coming back. I'm like, all right, now I need that wide receiver three because, again, like we said, you, you need to start three. And this is where I was sort of kicking myself for missing out on the guys before. I took Antonio Brown with my with my pick here uh, in round 10. You know, I, I wrote up a thing on Brown in one of the articles early. If you pace him out over 16 weeks, uh, given how he produced at the end of the year, you know, he was on, there's like 90 catches for 960 yards, and like a handful of scores. And that was with absolutely no training camp, no preseason, like none of that with Tom Brady. He was hand selected to be there with Tom Brady. He still looks good, you know, and now you're going to get a whole camp work with him. You know, there's some sort of contract thing going on with Godwin right now as well, where they're not going to come to an agreement on an extension. I'm not saying they're not going to come to an agreement at some point with Chris Godwin, but you know, Godwin wasn't Brady's guy. Antonio Brown was. And if there's only a few years left and Brady wants Brown to be there for him, you know, there's potential upside for him there. So I went AB. I went Curtis Sam. Back-to-back picks there. I like him going to Washington, reconnecting with Ron Rivera. You know, they're going to throw it with Ryan Fitzpatrick there. So I took Curtis Samuel there at wide receiver 43. And then I went three straight, like I said, taking Marquise Brown there, wide receiver 52, a three-pick wide receiver run for me in rounds 10, 11, and 12. Yeah. I mean, Antonio Brown, like they have the Tom Brady and him have that mind meld. You know what I mean? Like touchdowns, they're averaging a touchdown a game at the end of the year there. And it makes me a little concerned for Chris Godwin. And I, you know, I love Chris Godwin. Like he's my baby. I've had him in all my dynasty leagues, but you know, when you have a team that does want to use two tight end sets at times, which, you know, when you have Gronk, OJ Howard, Cameron Bray, you're going to want to do that sometimes. And, you know, when you bring in the second tight end, someone has to come out of the game and it's almost always a wide receiver and you're not going to take out the 6'5", 235 pound Mike Evans, especially if it's in the red zone. So one of Brown or Godwin is going to have to come out. And that's why for me, I love Antonio Brown's redraft value compared to Godwin's just because it's you can get him rounds and rounds later. And it could just very well be a situation where Tom Brady says, you know what? I've been in the league for 20 years. I want Antonio on the field. And that's that. You know, it's right. like, what do you say? I mean, Chris Godwin. I mean, and yeah, he's I not, guess, he doesn't look washed up, right? No, like, he looks amazing. And I guess yeah, I guess Godwin Godwin gave Brady his number. So maybe he's on his good side there. You know, Godwin gave him the number 12 and switched to 14 to appease him. So maybe maybe he's on the good side there. And I'm sure Godwin will be a very safe and good pick. But I just yeah. at I the mean, draft capital. I know, I know Antonio. I know Brown's, you know, 33 now. Right. But I mean, he just turned 33. But he's like two years removed from being the top receiver in football. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's not a normal person. And he was the top. He was the top receiver in football for four years in a row. Like right. four straight years, he was the wide receiver one. Like that cannot be understated. Like this guy is a complete sicko. I remember seeing a clip of his, his father went to go visit him at his apartment, right? And his father, Eddie Brown, is widely regarded as the greatest arena f- football wide receiver of all time. Like when people 
make lists of the greatest arena football players, it's usually Eddie Brown one and then like Kurt Warner two. Like this guy was like unbelievable. He stayed with that game. He wasn't really part of Antonio's life growing up, but he went to his apartment once and there's this big ridiculous calendar on the wall and eddie was like what is that and antonio was like oh these are all the milestones i'm gonna hit you know here's where i'm gonna hit you know 10,000 yards here's where i'm gonna hit 15 and eddie was like well what happens if you don't hit the milestones and antonio brown's face went from all smiles to just like complete like he was shocked he was like what are you talking about don't hit the milestones <laughs> and eddie was like well what happens if you don't hit him he's like well I, I hit him like I always hit him it was like in Antonio Brown's mind like that's all that was happening that was that was it that's what was happening yeah. and it's like that's that kind of mindset that like puts him in such a like you know he's just so obviously he's crazy but sometimes when you're crazy about the one thing that you know the one thing that you do as a living it makes you really good at it so you know and, and he's, he just turned 33 but you know maybe he doesn't have the wear and tear after basically taking a season and a half off right like didn't play at all you know played one the one game in 2019 with the patriots had a touchdown that game uh, and then you know last year he played eight games he got 72.6 percent of his passes last year i mean so, like antonio brown was the undisputed wide receiver in the league for a number of years which you know jerry rice was the undisputed number one wide receiver in the league for a number of years and he tore his acl at age 35 mm -hmm. so, and then he came back and had multiple thousand yard <laughs> I was like, didn't, he, didn't he have like a thousand yard season at like 40 or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. he had 40 years old he had a, he had 1200 yards 1200 yards, yeah. seven touchdowns he had 1190 it's like these guys that want to take it to that level they can take it to any level they want. And we're talking about, like, you know, Antonio Brown didn't tear his ACL. He took a little year off, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so uh, that's the scary thing about that particular player is that, like, you can't keep him out of the game. The only thing stopping Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown. Right. hundred percent. And as long as the mentals are there, right. Then he is, uh, he's in good shape. So, uh, so I, I went Samuel, I went Marquise for Hollywood Brown, you know, I, I know they drafted Bateman. They brought in Sammy Watkins. Mark Andrews is still there. They're going to run a ton. I'm just hoping that the touchdown magic they had at the end of the year, something finally clicked between him and Lamar Jackson. And and maybe they're going to have Lamar throw a little bit more in the pocket. I, I, again, looking for home run hitters at this point, you know, where we are in the draft, you know, looking at the board of guys that were available. You know, he seemed like you, like you always talk about, you're looking for guys that have an opportunity to be, among the leader and targets, the guys that were available, Marquise Brown kind of fit that bill for me. Absolutely. I mean, where we're at, I mean, he could be the number one guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like those picks. For me, what I did is after I went Hunter Henry, right? So at this point, I had my starting lineup filled. You have to start 11 players, right? You have to start two running backs minimum, three wide receivers, one tight end, one quarterback, and then you have a ton of flexes. So my starters at this point are Alvin Kamara and Zeke Elliott at wide receiver. I'm sorry, running back. My wide receivers are Mike Evans, Adam Thielen, Cortland Sutton. My quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. The super flex is Derek Carr, which you want to start a quarterback there. TJ Hawkinson is my tight end. And then I have DJ Chark and Hunter Henry in my, my flexes. So and Raheem Mostert in my flexes. So from there, now I'm just kind of trying to use the format to my advantage. I took a guy that we both like, Kenyon Drake, pass catcher. Yeah. Uh, I talk about Raheem Mostert. You know, it's like I say, I want explosive guys. I want guys who can just, you know, 
become that explosive megastar. And Raheem Mostert had the first fastest two runs last year. The guy with the third fastest run was Kenyon Drake, Six, 69 yard run. You know, we know he can do it. They brought, you know, they brought him in. They gave him the most money of any free agent running back, more than Chris Carson, more than Leonard Fournette, Mike Davis, all those guys. They they give him the most guaranteed money. They gave him the most money on average by year, five point five million per year for two years. You know, eleven million dollar contract. So pretty good deal for Kenyon Drake. I think that they're going to utilize him and at you know in the twelfth round when guys are drafting Tony Pollard and Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard went. Before Drake, they both had about 100 touches last year, and unless unless the starter gets hurt, they're not doing anything grand, you know. So yeah, no, that's uh, what, 100%. Yeah, that's where I went there. I knew that I needed to get one more quarterback on the roster. So many had gone. I mean, Jared Goff was already going, Taysom Hill, Cam Newton. So I took Mac Jones just for the upside. I've already pretty much committed to you know, given the draft capital I used to starting Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr every week. And a lot of times in this format, people think it's the end of the world if you don't have a second quarterback, but you don't have to start two quarterbacks. It's super flex. So I, you can get away with it. You know, you, you want to start two, but you can technically get away with it. So I still got Mac Jones in there. And in my league, and you mentioned at least get three, I, I only have two, right? It wasn't by design. I have two because one guy drafted six, another guy drafted five, and two people drafted four quarterbacks. Six, dude. What? Why? I don't know. I was even hoping. Was it, was it John Hogue? No. No. It was a, a fan <laughs> and uh, named Grant. Jason Thomas from Dynasty Happy Hour took five. I. It was even a killer because in the final round, I was targeting Taylor Hineke thinking, you know what? Fitzmagic could run out. Maybe there's an opportunity for him. And the guy who had five already took him. But his last pick in the draft, he'd make a, give him his sixth quarterback. He took Taylor Henneke. He's got Mayfield, Wentz, Newton, Love, Locke, and Henneke as his six quarterbacks. Goodness. Uh, so I I got I got blocked out because I just thought at some point I'd be able to take a quarterback. And uh, the quarterbacks went, and I never had the opportunity, sadly. So I'm hoping, hoping and assuming at some point one of those quarterbacks will get dropped. And then I will pounce. But, you know, yeah, I'm I'm really hoping for Aaron Rodgers to play or else I got one quarterback. Yeah, you're toast if he doesn't play, but so am I. You know what I mean? Like, we, if you drafted Aaron Rodgers at all, then it doesn't matter who else you drafted a quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, if Aaron Rodgers decides to retire or not play or whatever, then I'm done. You know what I mean? And I don't – yeah, that's fine with me because I, I – the, the value's built in. Like, Tyreek Hill a couple years ago – you know, his son broke his arm. He said, threatened his, his girlfriend and, you know, everyone thought he wasn't going to play and anyone that drafted him got a great value. So I'll definitely take the discount there. So, so. Why, don't you, why don't you go over the, the final picks that you have left? Cause I, I, I finish you, you have three picks left to me. So you're, you're going to, you're nearing the end of what you've already drafted. So what, yes. what do we finish? So he, here's what, here's what I did, you know, so I'm just taking guys that, so for me last year, I got smoked because I had so many injuries. I lost Darius Geis. I lost, well, Darius Geis wasn't injured, but he injured somebody else. So he was <laughs> done. You know, I lost Cortland Sutton week one. I lost Christian McCaffrey. Miles Sanders got hurt. Tyrell Williams got hurt. Devin Funches opted out. Like I miss, I lost so many players that I felt myself scrapping. So I just went and took the guys that I thought, you know, I went for upside early and now I'm taking guys that if worst case scenario, I have guys that I can put in my lineup. So I took T.Y. Hilton. He's going to be a top two target on that team. James White. I took Nelson Aguilar, who could, you know, if Hunter Henry doesn't lead the Patriots, 
I think he has the best chance to be the other guy, you know? I took Christian Kirk, who I've been kind of following what's going on with him. I mentioned earlier that, you know, he he's moving into the slot. They already talked about it. You can see him and the coach talking about it. And then I took a pick that was kind of a salute to a friend of mine. Linda, Linda Godfrey, people know her as Lindellians on Twitter, I took a kicker because, you know, I was looking at the overall ADP of kickers, what was happening in other leagues, what people were doing. And in my league was super kicker reverse. We had two go. And uh, they go and kickers didn't come off the board of my league till round 15. So two kickers did go in 15 for me, Young Oku and then Justin Tucker, oddly went. We, we uh, had Butker, Koo, and Tucker all go round 15. So Yoku and Justin Tucker went in round 15, and then round 16 went by with no kickers, and round 17 went by with no kickers. So I reached out to my friend. I said, what kicker do I take? And she said, Tyler Bass was the name. And I, so I took him. You know, in this format, he's going to be better than just from what we saw last year. He's going to be better than like most players drafted after round 14. He's not going to be the high scorer of the players drafted in that group. But, you know, mathematically speaking, the kickers did outscore a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys picked here are going to be bad. I mean, like some of these guys taking Amon Ross St. Brown, the slot guy for the worst team in the league. You know, <laughs> the odds are not good there. Tyler Bass, he doesn't have good odds of being amazing, but he has really good odds of being startable in this right. format. So. He's got a big leg, so exactly. that helps. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's always what you're looking for. Right. And a high-scoring team, you know, it's like – uh, worst case scenario, he kicks a couple extra points and gets a couple points. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to get zero. So, you know, and then the, my last pick that I took here, I took Jordan Akins. I just think it's that team is so devoid of talent. And, you know, they're 197 vacated targets between Will Fuller and Darren Fells and Chad Hansen and Duke Johnson. And basically it's Brandon Cooks. And then pick your poison for the second target on the team between, you know, Randall Cobb, a rookie, Nico Collins, or a tight end, Jordan Aiken. So for me, you know, I'm willing to take that, especially with the, like, if Nico Collins and Jordan Aiken get exactly the same number of catches, Jordan Aiken scores essentially double points because it's tight end premium. So that's the way I went there. Nice. So, so for me again, we're we're picking up here in round thirteen. Uh, you and I, I, I texted you. You're the tight end whispery here. I was looking at my second tight end. At this point, we've already seen seventeen tight ends go off the board. Uh, I was eyeing Adam Trotman, you know, a guy that you've touted heavily. He went a few picks ahead of me, so I was kind of looking at the board here, uh, and we decided again to go upside. And I took Zach Ertz, which could be good, could be bad if Ertz doesn't get traded. Probably not good. They've already said Goddard's going to be the lead guy there, you know, but we're expecting an Ertz move, you know, whether it be Buffalo, whether it be the Colts he's been rumored to, you know, Ertz gets moved somewhere. He's going to be, you know, one of their, the featured pass options. I have Kittle. I don't have to start two tight ends, but like we said, Ertz is at least, you know, has the upside of being an elite pass catching option at the position. So I'd get the full PPR in first down points should he get moved. From there, I took Philip Lindsay. Again, looking for some depth. We're looking at the Houston running back situation. I was stunned today when I was writing my RB Handcuff uh, draft guide article to find out that David Johnson averaged 4.7 yards per carry last year. I thought for sure they signed all these running backs in the offseason. Wild. Fresh. That is and wild. I thought I was fully expecting to see David Johnson at 3.5 yards per carry. I knew he was hurt. I'm like, yeah, I was proven wrong. I was touting David Johnson heavily last year, and it wasn't the case. Even if you take out the two outlier games, because at the end of the year, he had a game against the Bengals, I think it was, or the Colts, where he had 120 yards on like 10 carries, right? Like, so 
boosted up 10 yards per carry average. You take away the 1.4 yards per carry average against the Steelers, get rid of the top game, the bottom game. He still averaged, you know, four and a half yards per carry for the season. So I was stunned to see uh, that number out of David Johnson, but he did miss four games. He missed three to injury, one to COVID. He's not adverse to missing time due to injury. Mark Ingram looked washed up. You know, they brought him in. Rex Burkett's coming off a torn ACL. So I thought Lindsey, you know, a year removed from back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, he can catch the football as well. And knowing that Tyrod Taylor, if he's going to be the quarterback this year, when he was at Buffalo, he threw to the tight end, he threw to the running back. So if Johnson goes down, Lindsey, to me, is at least the handcuff. He's viable in the passing game. I I like potentially just grabbing him again late in the draft. You're talking about going receivers that have the, the ability to be the top targeted guy. I went with Jacoby Myers, you know, like they're talking can't that he's going to be the, the starting receiver for New England this year, potentially opposite Nelson Aguilar. He knows the playbook. And yeah, he's contending with two tight ends that could potentially be targeted more than him. But Myers was the number one receiver for New England last year. So getting him, you know, in rounds was one of my around 15 wide receiver, 61, potentially getting a wide receiver one in an offense. I, I thought it was. Uh, too good to pass up. I followed that up with James White. Again, a guy that we know, as you've mentioned, New England has set roles for these guys. White is going to be a guy that's going to be on the field in passing downs, has that PPR value, grabbed him, uh, and then grabbed Tyrell Williams. Again, a guy that has potential to be the number one receiver in Detroit, at least on the outset, in round 17. So that was the next five picks for me before I went and dipped my toe in the kicker pool uh, there, Coop. And I went with uh, Will Lutz on the Ertz, Lindsey, Myers, White, Williams run well i mean usually i like your picks because we talk a lot about them so uh, i'm usually on board but the jacoby myers one to me is such a good good one at that pick because just like nelson Aguilar, right nelson Aguilar got paid so he knows we know he's gonna be out there right but they brought in two tight ends right and what people don't recognize a lot of times about the two tight end set move is that it allows you more flexibility with who you use at wide receiver the biggest example being the Colts for many years had T.Y. Hilton, who is not big. He's 5'10", you know, one, you know, he said they say 190 or whatever, probably closer to 180, but he's not a big guy. So what they do is they use two tight ends, and that lets them not use a split end, which the split end has to have their foot tethered to line. Now T.Y. can play a step off the line, go in motion. He's not as susceptible to the jam. He doesn't, he's not as easy to shadow cover, you know, because of the motion and all that. So the Patriots this year can now do that with two tight ends tethered to the line. They don't need to use the split end. And I think the biggest indication of that is that Nikhil Harry has to be traded because he is the, they brought him in to be that big. He sees the writing on the wall, you know, he knows what the offense is going to look like. Right, right. It's, he's the, they were, you know, he knows that his biggest value is being, you know, 6'3. To what is he? Two fifteen, two twenty-five. He's yeah. he's a big. He's a big boy. So they brought him in to be that split end, so they could use one tight end and one split end. And now that they have two tight ends, he uh, he sees the writing on the wall, just like you said. And now he wants to trade. And I think that tells us right there that Nikhil is out of the equation, which means that it's basically Nelson Aguilar is one of the guys, and it's Kendrick Bourne versus Jacoby Myers for the other spot. So I mean, Jacoby, if if Jacoby scored, he you know how many touchdowns he scored last year, John? Was it one? It was zero. Zero. So, okay. Zero touchdowns. So had he scored even two or three, he'd be so much farther up draft boards for people because we all look at fantasy points. You know what I mean? But, you know, this guy led the team in yards. He had almost 800 yards. And, you know, like I said, it's like the not scoring touchdown thing scares people away. But Cam didn't throw many touchdowns. Right. I mean, Dak 
Dak Prescott threw more touchdowns than Cam, and he played four and a half games. So now that it's a better offense, I think rising tide lifts all boats. And I think Jacoby, you know, there's if he's playing the same role or a similar role, there's no chance he doesn't score at least one or two, you know. So Yeah, so uh, I, I thought that there was at least a potential for him there. Again, another guy, I like the high catch rates, right? 73% of his passes he caught from one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the league last year. So. Mm-hmm. And to, like, you know, just to touch on the other guys there, you know, you know, I already like James White, Zach Ertz, wherever he ends up, he's going to he's going to be catching passes. The reason I like Zach Ertz is because I like him on the Eagles. If he stays on the Eagles, I like that. If he goes somewhere else, you know, it depends where he goes. But in most most circumstances, if someone's trading for him, they're you they're trading for him to use him for what he's good at. And it's not blocking. You know what I mean? Like no one in their right mind is going to draft this guy, trade for this guy and tell him to put his hand in the dirt and block. So if someone has interest, then that's what it'll be for. And, you know, anyone that's listening to this podcast for the uh, indeterminate number of episodes that it's been right. so far, we have no idea. But they know we know we like Tyrell Williams because, you know, he there's we have no idea who could lead that team in targets. And he's the wide receiver that's being paid the most on the team. He's being paid almost double what Brashad Perriman's being paid. The rest of the guys are on rookie deals. You know, they're, they're all fourth round picks or later. I'm on Ross St. Brown, you know, is a fourth round pick. He's probably playing the slot. Quintus Cephas is a fifth round pick. So, you know, he has a pretty damn good shot to be the wide receiver that's on top of that, that chart there. And that's, that's why I like TJ Hawkinson so much is that, the rest of those guys are non-threatening, you know, but at least Tyrell Williams in, you know, where'd you get him? The the 16th round? Was yeah, it? Well, yeah, he was, well, I'm pulling it up right now. He was, uh, of course, I, I clicked, misclicked off. Uh, Tyrell Williams, for me, was taken in the swing. 17th, 17th round, okay. uh, wide receiver 71 off the board. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, done deal. Could, he could lead his team in targets, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, so my, my draft's done. Who, who'd you finish with after Lutz? Yeah, so after Lutz, I went Malcolm Brown, backup running back in, in Miami. There's been early reports out of camp that Flores likes him in short yardage situations and potentially in the red zone as well. So a guy that could get carries over Gaskins when it comes down to you know time to score in, in goal line situations. And you get, you get points for first downs in this league. So if he likes him in short yardage situations, you're going to get points on uh, on that as well. So took a, took an option there. I took Dan Arnold. I know that's contentious between you and I as my as my third tight end. I took Dan Arnold. You know, again, uh, you even included a, a piece of this in your stats to know draft guide article today, talking about all the routes run by Ian Thomas last year. He was top eight, right? You said yeah. in routes run last year, and but he was forty sixth in, yeah. in catches or something like that. Seven and forty seventh, and let yeah. the record let the record show. That I'm not contentious about picking Dan Arnold and round in round 20 in a tight end premium league where you get points for uh, first downs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in this format, I'll I'll be picking Dan Arnold if he's there. You right. know, because I'm not at this point in the draft yet. But you know, in a normal normal you know regular scoring one tight end league i'm just saying don't hang your hat on dan arnold sure. that's what i was saying and, about and, and that i'll agree with but you know when you were talking all that slander with howard on xm radio <laughs> uh, the other day i'm sitting there i'm like i'm not saying to take dan arnold in the fourth round here i'm just saying later in your drafts uh, you know a, a tight end two on your bench 
Dan Arnold could maybe be a guy. And then you included my favorite clip of the offseason so far has been his agent basically just rattling off all the reasons that Dan Arnold's better than Larry Fitzgerald. And, and you uh, know, you know, it was Howard that put you on the spot there, not me. Right? Oh, I listened. I listened. I know you said he was setting it up for sure. You know, because I've been talking in, in Howard's ear about Dan Arnold. And I think I was turning him too. But then you kind of swayed him in the other direction. So again, I took Dan Arnold in, in round 20, like you said, no real loss there. Round 21, I took Damian Williams. Now, I'm intrigued by Damian Williams because I don't trust Matt and Aggie to do the right thing. Which, and even though reports have come out that they want to give David Montgomery all of the carries that he can possibly handle and yada, yada, yada. This is the same head coach that was giving touches to Corderell Patterson over David Montgomery. And, and, you know, backup running back after backup running back was touching the ball more than David Montgomery was. So I think there's a, a chance that Damian Williams comes in camp and finds himself in some change of pace role where he can catch the football a little bit. I know Tariq Cohen's going to be healthy and I just don't trust Nagy to give Monty the full role that he's been talking about. Plus I'm just late in the draft. I'm looking for potential guys that have upside and he was there. So I took Damian Williams, you know, about took last year off. There's maybe some potential bounce back for him. He knows the chief system and not, they didn't overlap. So I can't say like they coached, but you know, I imagine, you know, when Nagy left, there was a similar style being run there anyways with Kansas City. So he kind of knows the deal. So I went there and then I took a kicker again. I took Carlson with my last pick. So I doubled up on the kicker spot. Yeah. And I, th- I think that you all these picks are great at the end of the draft here, because this is the point that I wanted to make at the very beginning of the episode. And probably the last point that we'll make is we're probably we're getting close to time here. But. The way I look at last rounds, right? Everyone always talks about lottery tickets, right? To me, I actually separate them into two different categories, lottery tickets and scratch tickets. To me, lottery tickets are guys where you have to wait for the number to be called and then they blow up, but the payout is huge. So we're talking about handcuffs like Chuba Hubbard or Alexander Madison. Like you're drafting these guys because you know that if and when the time comes and the right circumstances happen, things could blow up and be amazing, right? On the flip side, there's the scratch ticket. To me, that's a situation where we don't know what's what it's going to be like going into the season, and week one we'll find that out. The upside typically for those isn't as amazing, you know, otherwise it would be early round picks, but, you know, we'll find out one way or another. And in a league like the Scott Fishbowl, where we know we're going to be dropping two to three players, very first waivers, because we're drafting right now. It's the middle of July, and you know there's a month and a half before the season starts. We know we're going to be dropping players, right? So I'd rather draft guys at the end of a draft like this, where I know week one what the deal is, and then I can drop them. Damian Williams is a perfect example. Damian Williams, if he plays a decent chunk of snaps – in week one, I keep him. If not, he's the guy I drop for a, a decent player. Dan Arnold, like Chris Herndon. These are guys where Malcolm Brown, we find out right away. Week one, we'll find out right away if they're part of the plan. because either vet- gets touches or he doesn't get touches. He doesn't. And they're veterans. You know what I mean? It's, it's like 
so the thing, the problem that you have with with drafting rookies and stuff late is that in your mind you're saying, oh well, he's a rookie, so later in the season they'll start using him. So you end up drafting Kenneth Gainwell, and you're like, okay, well he's a rookie, so I'll hold on to him because I don't want to drop him. Because what if Miles Sanders gets hurt, or what if they're just ramping him up, you know? And then you end up holding this guy for way too long, missing out on guys on waivers that you would have gotten otherwise, right? It flips for me in best ball. In best ball, I want lottery tickets because there's no waivers, you know? So I'll draft Alexander Madison knowing that if Dalvin Cook gets hurt, which he has every single year, then I hit the lottery. You know what I mean? So, And I don't have to worry about waivers. I don't have to worry about holding him too long or dropping – or the dreaded dropping him too early, right. which I did. I did that with Mike Davis last year in one league. I dropped Mike Davis – I think I did that in the Scott Fishbowl. I drafted Christian McCaffrey and I drafted Mike Davis. And then when I think one of my first drops when we did waivers in because waivers run before week one, I dropped Mike Davis, which was just brutal, you know, but it's like, that's why I hate drafting those players where it's like, you never know when they're going to hit or if they're going to hit. I'd rather just draft guys that you're going to know right away, you know? Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement with you on that. So that's how my draft finished out. Coop, we are up against it here. You know, we've had some draft guide articles come out, so make sure you check those out for sure. Coop had his stats you need to know. I've dropped the zero RB draft strategy and put on full display here in the Scott Fishbowl for me, uh, running back to target. And then I did the uh, RB handcuff uh, article for the draft guide, which basically breaks down some running back groups to watch. Uh, you know, famous, I'll say, for explaining that depth charts are not linear anymore, right? Like there's guys and roles that fill needs on teams and you can't just look at it as strict backups. I've been talking about that for running backs for a while as well. There are, are running backs on teams that have their own individual value on a roster that they're just not the backup. You know, there's Alexander Madison who needs Dalvin Cook to get hurt to have any sort of significant playing time. And then there's Kareem Hunt who's on the field 40% of the snaps, regardless of what happens to Nick Chubb. So, you know, I, I broke that down, some running back groups to watch. So we, ha- we have that. We'll probably talk upon those more in depth in the next podcast episode here. But uh, any final thoughts before we, before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I have one final thought. And it's actually more of a request. I put this request out on Twitter the other day. I just bought a um, a new place, and I'm going from living near the city to out near the woods. If you have any flashlight recommendations, I have no good flashlights. Any flashlight experts out there, shoot me a message at Coupe Fiasco. Whether you can, if you can find that tweet, great. If not, shoot me a DM. I'm looking for the best flashlight to light up. You know about what not. Not like a floodlight, but just so I can. I was gonna say you gotta go like floodlight probably if you're looking to. I mean, I know I know where you know, the size of property that you have. I'm fully expecting you to do some installations here and and light up that place. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think yeah, we're gonna have the lights up top for the wiffle ball field and all that. Obviously, you know, for playing playing night games, throwing the ball around. But I mean, it is like a fairly secluded neighborhood and. You know, I, just for going on walks or whatever with dogs, whatever, I, I'm looking for a good flashlight, not some cheapo one. I'm looking for something with some lumens, you know. So anybody out there that actually knows about that kind of thing, hit me up at Coop A Fiasco on Twitter. I need that information. So request is out there. All right. So get Coop a good flashlight, something with some solid, we'll say spread, right? You know, you want, want the light shining so, all across. So. so that's the thing is that so I've the thing is Reddit is too daunting with the like i'm looking at it and they're like all these different things i just want a flashlight semi expert to come in and say this is what you want you know because i'm not trying to i'm trying i'm not trying to wake up the neighbors you know what i mean (laughs) 
but I would like something cool that I could yeah, kind of. You want to you know, know if the, if that's a fox three feet in front of you. Ex- well, I want to be able to see like so my my yard's like 1.5 acres. I want to be able to see the wood line from my porch and be like, what's going on out there? You know what I mean? Like if the zombies right. start coming, you want a head start, is what you're saying. If the zombies are coming, yeah, I want to be able like I'm not saying that it needs to blind somebody, but if if it could blind them. If you know, if there's a setting for that, then yeah, I mean, obviously I want that. So, okay. so, so uh, send your send your flashlight recommendations at Coop Fiasco. Hook them up. Let us all know. But for now, we'll get the end of Coop's draft next week. We'll talk about some more draft guide stuff, and then I mean, we're still doing best ball. I'm in a bunch of best ball drafts. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hook one up and and see where we go from there. But we will catch you all later.